Loving it, man. I was back in Michigan at our home church in Detroit last weekend, and it was the same thing, about 15 degrees cooler. Beautiful fall weather. Absolutely love it. Hey, uh, real quick, about two or three weeks ago, maybe a month ago or so, I had uh, uh, kind of mentioned a little house cleaning thing, a little family chat, a uh, couple things that I want to remind us of again today. Number one, here at K2, everyone matters. Every, there's just, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, the one thing you know is every single person on this planet matters to God. And so, and that, and that's true for us here. And so we just want to say that we love trying to be a church that anybody and everybody can feel welcome being here. Okay. Now, in light of that, everyone matters to us. And so uh, for quite a while now, some people were just sharing with us that during the message, while I'm up here speaking, or one of our people are speaking, or while the worship's going on, that some conversations were being had between people. And there's just, and if the truth is, the way certain people are wired, if there's distracting noises going on while you're trying to concentrate, they literally can't concentrate. So we just ask, since everyone matters, who matters then is the person sitting next to you matters. And so just want to remind us to, to, while I'm speaking or while the worship's going on, to really have a cognizant, like I'm going to care about the people around me and hold, my, hold our conversations until we get out of here. We all good with that? Yeah. All right, cool. And then just the other thing was just getting up and walking, distractions or whatever during the service. Uh, again, if you got to go to the bathroom, please go. That would be a good thing for you and everybody else. Uh, but other than that, um, we, and by the way, and again, we're going to start actually closing those doors uh, uh, about five minutes into the service, 10 minutes into the service. Um, and then there's two entrances that actually will help you to walk in the back, um, which again, will just help with that. So we so just want to say thank you. Thanks for caring. Like this is, we're a community. We're family. We love each other. And this is one way that we can actually make sure that everybody's being loved. All right. So today, y'all ready? We're talking about sex. Come on, man. Give it up, Ed. Here we go. All right. By the way, you guys sitting back there, first service, man, I had a cheering section up there. It was awesome. So if anybody wants to get, holler back at me while I'm talking about this, that'll be really helpful. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Ed. Um, but let me just say again, we put the big sign out there, PG-13, uh, for today's service. And I do want to tell you, I'm, I am going to go there today, okay? So if you do have children in here, I want to encourage you to not have children in here. And, and I just, and I don't, I, I, seriously, this is a super, super important topic and, and one that we need to address very openly like God does, Okay, but at the same time, it is definitely a message that needs to be appropriate for a certain age. I'm going appropriate over 13, okay? So just again, if you're in here and you have children, uh, you'll want to make that move. All right, why? Why are we going to talk about sex? Well, first of all, because you are sexual. Every person, okay, here we go. Um, you are. Every person, all of us sitting here, you either have two X chromosome or you have an XY chromosome. God, from the very beginning, it says he created us male and female. We are sexual beings, okay? You have sexual drives and sexual desires. That's where someone hooped and hollered in the first service. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, some of yours are stronger than others. But we all have them. There's something inside a human being that has this sexual drive or desire. If you're single, then you're trying to figure out, should I be sexually active or not? If you're married, then you're trying to figure out this unbelievable, beautiful mystery of sex inside your marriage. And it's crazy because sex is one of the most unifying or the most polarizing things in marriage. 
Um, and then, if you are, you guys close those doors. Just want to make sure we're not we're we're getting here. But uh, but if and if you're single or married, then you're trying to deal with our culture of pornography. Just the, the constant lure of sex everywhere around us. We're trying to figure out how do I handle my own sexually, sexuality when I'm by myself. And the whole masturbation issue rises up. And we just go, this is our reality. And so in church, with God, in truth, with our creator, we got to talk about this stuff. Some of you are living today with regrets. Heavy, heavy regrets from your sexual past. Decisions that you made, and you need to be free from those. And then some of you, unfortunately, a large percentage of us in this room have had others have sexual advances towards you or manipulated you into doing something you didn't want to do or actually abused you. And you live with that every day. There are so much going on, and, and, and here's why. Why are we doing this series, Money, Sex, and Power? Because through every age in the history of time, in every culture, wherever human beings have gathered together, money, sex, and power either are used for the good to create an amazing society or are used for evil. And just like nuclear power can either light up a whole city so that we can live or it can destroy a whole city. Things, power is neutral. It can be used for good or bad. And last week we had to talk about money because money is one of the most critical things that destroys relationships, that causes stress and anxiety within our being. God in the scriptures actually talks more about money than anything because he knows what a big deal and how powerful it is. And so it can be negative, but when a person is grateful and generous and faithful to God with their finances, money changes the world in a really positive way. And the same thing is true for our sexuality, and so we gotta talk about that today. And here's, and, uh, right, I mean, we could do a 20-week series on this. There are so many different facets that we have, all of us uniquely are dealing with when it comes to sex. But here's where I'm gonna go today. I just wanna try to answer, why? Why is it so powerful, positively and negatively? Why does it matter so much? And then, really, what was God thinking? <laughs> What was he thinking when he put this whole thing together? And therefore, what does he want us to think about sex? What does he want us to believe about it? Because what you believe about sex is therefore how you're going to act in it. And so I just want to say, again, our mission here at K2 is to invite and equip everyone to live out the adventure of following Jesus. So when we talk about sex today, if you're here as somebody who you would say, I'm not quite a follower of Jesus yet, Okay? I, I, maybe I came with a friend or I've been coming to K2. I don't buy this whole thing yet. I'm not a follower of Jesus. My hope would be that um, I think everything that Jesus says is so cool <laughs> and so good that maybe today you might be a little bit more intrigued to say, maybe I want to follow Jesus as we talk about his view of sex. So, but then for the rest of us, a majority of us in here who say, I do follow him. I follow Jesus. Then I'm asking you, then let's follow him. This is huge for us in your lives. Let's honor him. Let's honor this God who created this unbelievable thing called sex. And so, um, so I'm going to pray for us right now, okay? And I'm just going to ask all of you, would you open your heart? Oh, let me say this. Because I think what we do, sexuality is so powerful and such a major component of who we are. But it is not who 
you are. So what we do is we try to find a spirituality that fits our sexuality. <laughs> and so sexuality is trumps everything, and then we're trying to find a God who will kind of match that. I'm going to challenge you today to actually take your spirituality and make your sexuality fit into this. Because this, who God is, and the reality of what he's created, and the essence of who you are, that's what mostly matters. And I'm telling you, and that doesn't matter, I don't care if you follow Jesus or not, we're struggling with this issue, okay? So let's pray, and let's just open our hearts. Just just you, I'm gonna pray, but you open your heart, and just kind of make yourself willing to hear what God has to say to us today. Man, Lord, it's a good day. And it is beautiful outside. And so even from that, we get to see that when you create something, it's, it's beautiful. Um, and we give you thanks and praise for that. Your will is good and pleasing and perfect. And so now, Lord, as we, as we look at sex, we just pray that you would help us as well to understand that this is, you have a will. You created this. This is your idea. What do you want us to know? How is it good? How is it beautiful? How is it pleasing? How did you create it? And what do you want us to know about that? And I just pray that you would bless us with that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's start off here. Uh, Susan, do I have a water down there, a bottle of water? Did I? Yeah, I can have yours. See, look at she loves me, serving me. All right, Matthew 19, this is Jesus. He says, haven't you read, he replied, Jesus said, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Um, And I love when Jesus said this, that he goes, haven't you heard that the creator, okay? So we're going right, he's going all the way back to the beginning. (laughs) When God put this whole thing into order, this is his idea. And why is sex so powerful? Because in this passage, because sex equals oneness. If you guys have your notes, you guys can tell it. There it is. Sex equals oneness. This is why it's so powerful. There is a bonding that happens when you have sex. It says you are united. God unites you. And that word actually, again, is glue. It's cement, okay? This is not nail. It's not a nail putting two things together and then you can just take a hammer and pull out the nail. No, these two things came together and they bonded together. Uh, I always, when I worked with high school kids a lot, I always would say sex is super glue, okay? Now I'm gonna date myself. How many of you guys remember that super glue commercial with a construction worker who had the helmet on? You guys remember that? (laughs) And then they put a little glue on his head and he'd be hanging from a steel beam. Like basically what they were saying is you put super glue and you put these two things together, you are guaranteed it ain't coming apart. And what God is saying is, what Jesus was saying is, God created this idea of sex so that when two people are sexually involved, um, and I just, I just got to tell you again real quick, hey, just you guys, I'm just sorry, excuse me. Hey, I'm going to be really honest about this topic today. Oh, he's good. Okay, great. He knows. Way to go. All right. He's going to know more after today. All right. So, but here, again, so here's what God is saying is, 
I, my idea is to take two people and literally cement you together, to glue you together, to make you one flesh. And that's why it is to be experienced with one person in the context of the covenant of marriage. Because two people are supposed to be bonded by this thing, not separated from it, right? And that's what Jesus went on to say. What God has joined together, let no one separate. And so, now, and, and I'm going to share, uh, I don't know, a month ago, a little over that, I was talking about going through Ephesians, and we were talking about um, marriage, and I shared some of these things, but let me just share them again, because I'm sure a lot of you weren't here that day, that, that now science is actually showing that sex actually does bind you together. By the way, you should never freak out about science. Science is wonderful. Science is just people discovering the beauty of how things work. And if God created everything, it helps us to understand him. Well, here's what we're, we're finding. Studies are now showing that when two people have sex, that a man's DNA through the sperm that get put into his, the woman's body actually begins to show up in her. Like two are actually becoming one flesh. And so what happens is 30%, right, about, about 30% of first pregnancies end up in a miscarriage. So what happens is the body, the woman's body, has a hard time initially accepting this new growth that's happening in. There's, there's going on, and so it rejects it. But the more that people have sex, you actually become one flesh, and you have a better chance of actually having a pregnancy that lasts. Isn't that fascinating? That's amazing. And then we got dopamine. Everybody loves dopamine, right? Say amen. It's here for dopamine. The pleasure chemical that gets released and again, it's the same thing that happens when you have a drug. This pleasure center, you have sex, pleasure gets shot into your brain through this chemical as well as oxytocin. So it's dopamine and oxytocin. Oxytocin is called the cuddle hormone <laughs> because when it's released during sex and it is scientifically proven to strengthen social bonding. Okay, listen to this quote. When you're first becoming intimate, you're releasing lots of dopamine and oxytocin that's creating that link. It's creating a link between the neural systems that are processing your facial cues, your voice, and the reward system of your partner's brain. And here's what they said. Under the influence of oxytocin, two areas of the brain responsible for feelings of reward and pleasure lit up when men saw their partner's faces. So sex actually causes, so, so I don't even have to be having sex. I can just see Susie and wham, dopamine, oxytocin, sweet. I'm socially bonding. Just facial, facial connection is happening because of the sexual hormones that are released inside your brain. You guys, do we not have a great God? Yeah. We have a great God who's saying, when you stood in the altar and you said, I'm going to hang with you until death do us part. He's like, all right, good. Then get in bed, have some sex, and I'm going to put some chemicals in your brain that are going to make you just look at your wife and go, yes. This is God's idea. It's unbelievable. It's what God the creator wants you to think and believe about sex is it binds you with another human being. Okay? But here's the issue. It binds you with anyone that you have sex with. Anyone. 1 Corinthians 6.16 says this. 
Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. So in this verse, we understand that this isn't something that's just safe for marriage. It's something within the power of sex itself that when you engage in a sexual activity with another person, there is a bonding that happens. You actually become one flesh with that person. Now, for those of you, in I'll just, you know, honesty today, I was definitely not faithful um, sexually, mainly throughout my teen years, early college. So, and I want to tell you, that was, that was one of the absolute greatest regrets of my life. Because for years afterwards, I couldn't get that girl out of here. And I couldn't get those experiences out of here. We became one, and she was in there. And that's why God is saying, this is not good. We're going to talk about that later. But you know, if that's you, you know those past experiences were bonding to you. And for anyone in here who has had the horrific experience of being manipulated or forced or abused sexually, that is not a, sec- that is not a physical trauma. That is a soul trauma. This is how we know that sex is so powerful, both positively and negatively. Now, here's what we need to understand, then, about sex. Sex is like every other drug. The more you do it, the more you need. The more you are involved in sex, the more you want. Why? Because dopamine is getting shot into your brain. It's just like any other drug. Why does a drug get addictive to you? Because, let me just quote from this scientific website, the brain tries to adapt, okay, when dopamine is surged into you through a sexual experience. It tries to reestablish a balance between the dopamine surges and the normal levels of the substance in the brain. To do this, neurons begin to produce less dopamine or simply reduce the number of dopamine receptors. So basically, your brain is going, okay, I can't handle this all the time. So you have these huge surges and your brain automatically goes, gotta pull back, gotta pull back, gotta pull back. And then, quote, it says, and without dopamine, creating feelings of pleasure in the brain, individuals also become more sensitive to negative emotions such as stress, anxiety, or depression. And so what happens is, the more sex you have, your brain actually begins to pull back. So now you need more. Same thing with heroin or any other drug. It's like to, to, to experience the same thrill that you initially had, you actually need to have more of it. Now, why is this such a big deal? Because the result is when you use sex as a pleasure tool, which it is, then it loses its potency. And so the result is a lack of deep and connection for which it was intended. So here's what I always used to tell everybody. It's supposed to be the super glue, right? It's supposed to just bind you together. But if you're having sex before marriage with multiple partners, if you're looking at pornography on a regular basis and it's just part of your nature, it's sexual stimuli that's producing dopamine and all of a sudden your brain is pulling back and pulling back and pulling back and now all of a sudden it doesn't have the potency to make you one. And then you find the person of your dreams and you want to be with them for the rest of your life and this sticky thing isn't as sticky as it used to be. Does that make sense? This is huge. We must understand 
and believe this and know this about sex. God has said it. Science is proving it. It was made to make you one. All right? So it's huge. And it actually, but here's the other. You guys want some good news now? Is that enough bad news? (laughs) Here's the good news. If sex makes you want more and you keep it within the confines of your marriage, what happens? More. (laughs) Good. Good answer. Yes. Then you are actually driven to have more sex with your spouse. And what happens when you have more sex with your spouse? It creates oneness. It is actually used of God. And so if you stay in within the confines of marriage, instead of getting outside in the confines, it actually does what it's supposed to do. Create a longing for even more. And then you look at your spouse and you go, I want you. And then you get together and it actually bonds you together. Sex is oneness. All right, so let's talk about that. Sex in marriage. All right? So here's the answer. If that's what God does, then sex in marriage... Be one often. Can I get an amen for all the married couples? Oh, a hallelujah even. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians 7 says this. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, The husband does not have authority over his own body, but he yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer and then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control." Now, let me just say something, you guys. This teaching right here was extremely radical 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this. And here's why. Because in that Roman culture, men actually took wives simply to have a legal heir. And if, they, if a man in that time actually wanted sexual pleasure, if it was sought at all, it was typically found outside of marriage. That's what this called. In fact, there's this guy, Demosthenes. He was, a, he was a, actually a statesman, and he said this. We keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for daily concubinage. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> but, wives, but wives we have in order to produce children legitimately and to have a trustworthy guardian of our domestic property. So in that culture... Men, for sexual pleasure, said, it's not even my wife. I just go get that wherever I want. She's just a way that I can make sure that I have a legal heir. And so then Paul, in the middle of that culture, he goes, can I just tell you what God says? He completely redefines marriage here. No, he says sex and marriage, it is for the mutual satisfying of erotic desires for both men and women. This is where it should happen. And so it's important. It's important. It should be frequent and it should be reciprocal. So what does he say? Don't deprive each other if you're married. It brings you together. It causes you to be one. And so don't deprive each other. And I love this, this verb. He says, perhaps. And it was so funny. I actually had to, as I, sometimes the English doesn't have Greek words and it just says how they want to say it. So I looked at this up and I'm like, no, the Greek word is really in there. And it's just kind of perhaps, not really, but maybe if you want to, you know? 
And then what do you say? Perhaps by mutual consent for a time, but then come back together again. In marriage, if you're married, God has given you this gift of sex to make you one flesh. And this is God's idea. And you guys, you know, so I thought, um, I want to do a new billboard campaign. Every, if you guys, you know, every once in a while we've done a billboard campaign up here uh, on, on I-15. I want to do one that simply has these big bill- billboards that says, the erotic God. <laughs> Come to K2 the church. <laughs> what do you guys think? Would that, would that work? <laughs> we actually have had billboard companies tell us they wouldn't put up other messages we had. They might say that with this one. But why? Why? Because listen to the definition of erotic. It's of or relating to or tending to arouse sexual desire or excitement. The word erotic means it's about arising this sexual desire within us. And so here's the question. Why is sexual drive and desire so strong? Why is it thrilling? And here's the question. And why do so many religious people try to put that down after you get married? Because we grow up in this thing, it's like, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's bad, it's bad, don't do that. And then all of a sudden you get married and you go, okay, go for it! And we're like, I'm going to tell you, man, you guys ready? We're going to go into the Song of Solomon. And I'm going to read you a passage. I asked a guy earlier that I'm, uh, who just received Christ this year, and I was talking to him this week. I go, you ever heard of Song of Solomon? He's like, no. And I'm like, oh, you need to read this book. <laughs> you might actually like the Bible after you read this. <laughs> okay? Listen to this. This is a guy speaking. He says, your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister and my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, and every kind of incense tree with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. I was cooking dinner a couple days ago. You guys, it's so fun, right? Because when you're cooking, you don't even realize it. And Susie and her mom walk into the door. As soon as they open the door, they're like, oh my God, this smells so good in here. They can't wait for dinner. That's what this guy's saying. (laughs) I open the door and it's like, serious? He goes, cinnamon. I don't know what henna is. I don't know what any of this stuff is. But it smells really good. And then he says this. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Okay? But here's what's cool. Men and women in a Christian marriage, it's both. It's passion on both sides. Because then look what she says. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind, Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Okay, all right, that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) I understand there's a lot of guys who are right now who are really ticked they went away for UEA weekend. I got to tell you. And you know, and if you're not a Christian, you're like, that's in the Bible? I need to get me one of those. (laughs) I'm like, But here's what we know. Can I just ask you a question? 
How can anyone deny God's elaborate, passionate, erotic nature? And I want to confess, man, I, so I was reading this this summer on my sabbatical. I was going through the Song of Solomon, and, I, and it was this passage. I got done. I'm, I'm like in the, all alone in the morning, and I'm like blushing. I'm like, this is crazy. And then I'm like, but here's why. You put erotic next to God in the same sentence, and it seems blasphemous. Right? How many of you ever do that? I don't. And I'm like, why not? This is how twisted our culture is, you guys. Because erotic, erotica, as soon as you hear that name, what's your first thought? Pornography. See, we automatically think if it's sensual and passionate and beautiful and drives us and creative, it, well, that's pornography. And then a movie, or it's a movie you shouldn't watch, right? Isn't it crazy? Every movie you watch these days, what happens? The guy walks in, he sees a girl across the room, they get a drink, and they're in bed. And while they're in bed, it's unbelievable. It's the most passionate, erotic, sexual experience, or it's, or it's an affair, it's somebody else, it's not my wife. That's what you see in every movie. We breathe this, that erotic, sexual passion and excitement is something that's reserved for outside of marriage. That's where it happens. How many of you have ever seen a passionate, erotic sex scene between a married couple in a movie? It's never there, and it shouldn't be, because it's holy and righteous, before God. But I want to tell you, man, as I thought about this, what's the result then for our marriage? God gives us these, these erotic impulses and drives are actually from God. They're from him, but we're trained to only see them in illicit ways. And so what does that do to the passion in your marriage bed? Because some of us, we're, we're in our marriage bed and we're just going, okay, well, we shouldn't do this or we can't do that or well, this is wrong. or uh. It's like, read Song of Solomon. Just read it. In the intimacy and the sacredness of marriage, for some reason, passion doesn't seem right. And I want to tell you, the world has stolen that from God. It should be in marriage. You should be doing it often. So uh, let me just read you in closing. Here's a couple things I wrote from my journal as I was meditating on this. I said, these passages are intense. They're arousing. <laughs> they almost seem scandalous. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I gotta confess to Susie, I read Song of Solomon. <laughs> but then I just thought, but, but this, is, this is my point. Why does this feel scandalous? Because we only see this and because we see it so often in illicit sex. But this is God, this is right, and this is good. This sexual drive and desire is his idea in the bond of marriage. Somehow I think if we knew this, it could help cure our draw to illicit sex. Somehow if the marriage bed was experienced like this, can you imagine? Read that book and then make that your experience, all you married couples. If the marriage bed was experienced like this, seen right to be this way, then I think it would help cure our draw for it elsewhere. In fact, I think it could make the illicit seem as disgusting as it really is the aberration that it is, the destruction that it is, instead of the bond that it was meant to be. This is God, and it's his idea. And inside of marriage, sex should be done often. There's your application, all you married couples. <laughs> all right, so now let's, let's go to the last point. So then let's talk about sex outside of marriage. How do all of us deal 
with the constant temptation to be involved sexually outside of marriage? Well, here's the answer. You've got to be one in spirit with Jesus. So again, I I just want to say, if you're not a Christian today, it totally makes sense to me. I don't have, I'll be honest with you, I don't have any expectations for anybody who doesn't, isn't a follower of Christ to actually follow his way. Why would you follow Jesus' ways if you don't believe in him? (laughs) So, So to do whatever you want sexually makes total sense to me, especially in a culture that says satisfy yourself. That's, that's the highest, highest thing. I do want to say, though, as we look at this, there might be even reasons for people who, you don't even have to believe in Jesus, and I think you can see now that saving yourself for sex within marriage is a better idea. But for those of us who follow him, how are we going to do this, man? Because it is hard. How are we going to stay pure sexually? We need to be one in spirit with Jesus, all right? I'm just gonna read you some passages because what's great about this, I'm not gonna share you, with you my opinion, okay? I'm gonna share with you just what the Bible says, okay? Here we go. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Okay, so I'm just gonna let me stop here. So if you're not a Christian, you're like, what in the heck does that mean? Well, if you are a Christian, you might be going, right, what's that mean? Christianity is not going to church. Christianity is not trying to be a good person Christianity is an actual transaction that happens in your spirit where you receive Christ and his spirit and your spirit become one. And so you are actually, your body is now a member of Christ. He goes on, shall I then take the member of Christ, me, and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whenever, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So Jesus is in me and I am in him. This is what you must believe when the temptation to be involved in sex outside of marriage happens. So then what's he say? Flee from sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality, you guys, by definition, again, it's the word porneo, which obviously we get our pornography word from, but porneo, it literally means any sexual activity that's outside of marriage. Now, what's interesting in this is when the Bible teaches a lot about how do you fight spiritually against darkness against you, when the, when the enemy's lying to you about God, and he's telling you things that aren't true about him or about yourself or about others. You know what the Bible says to do? Take your stand. It says, dig your feels in and don't you dare move. You stand against those lies and you tell yourself the truth. You know what the Bible says to do when sexual immorality, when you're tempted sexually? Hike it up and run. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I mean, it's just the yeah, I mean, Some of you are going, I can handle it. No, you can't. You weren't made to. My brother-in-law told me that years ago, Dave, you were, God never intended us to be strong in this area. <laughs> he gave it to us, but he does intend for us to be wise. So you must flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Fascinating. Fascinating. I read so much on this. People are going, what? But if you think about this, if sex is uniting myself with another person, then if I do that and I bring another person into my person, I just sinned against me. I just messed up 
Me, you sin against your own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And this is the passage I use all the time when I'm just having counseling sessions in my office. It says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. So, and again, so here I'm just talking to all of you who say, I follow Jesus. I am a follower of Christ. I receive the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is living inside of me. If that's true, then you want to live in a way to please God. He goes, as in fact you are living. And now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus, right? So here it is again. How do you, how do you handle sex outside of marriage? You be one in spirit with Jesus. In the Lord Jesus, he says, to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Here it is. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. You know what sanctified means? It means literally to be set apart, to be cut away. And and by the way, guys, don't forget this. God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. And it is God's will that you should be sanctified from anything that's destructive, anything that destroys you or a relationship or another person. He goes, you, God's will is that you should be sanctified, set apart unto God, that you should avoid sexual immorality. It is God's will that you and I are not involved in anything, in any way sexually, that's outside of the bond with a married person that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that's what, and again, again, I just say that, like if you don't know God and you feel these strong desires, it is the natural thing to do to just, it's natural to appease those. But that's not supernatural, it's not of God. And this, and that in this matter, and here's what we're gonna talk about, that no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Now listen, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being. I, I, I love that part. <laughs> because that's not, that's not me. It's, Dave, what's your, what's your view of human sexuality? What Jesus says. I don't have an opinion. Well, actually, you know, I can share with my opinion with you because I have been all over the map, right? I, I ran in the first experience ever for me, sexually, 11 years old, don't even know what sex is, hardcore por- pornography. That's my lesson. I know what that is, and I know the power of that, and I know how destructive it is and how strong it is. And then I know what it is to therefore get involved in sexual relationships before I was married. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And I know what it is to fight from 19 to 34 and make myself pure for my bride. And I know what it is to be inside a marriage in the bond with another woman and find out that Song of Solomon rocks. I have an opinion And I want to tell you, God's view of sex, dead on from my personal experience. And so he says, you're not rejecting a human being, but if you reject this instruction, you reject 
God. The very God who gives you his spirit. So I just want to tell you right now, and I'm also going to say this, there is a big difference, I think, there's a, in my own life, there is a big difference between falling into temptation and sinning and then immediately hating it, turning to God and repenting and receiving his forgiveness. There's a big difference between that and willfully doing something against God when you know it's not what he wants you to do. You guys don't understand that? Big difference, okay? So, what's the main idea here? When Jesus came, he got rid of all these laws, Old Testament, there's so many things you gotta do to follow God, you gotta do it. And then he comes and he goes, okay, I fulfilled all that. Here's, here's what it's all about. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love him. And the other one is like this. Here's what Jesus said. I got a new command for you. Love each other as I have loved you. Period. Every time God gives us an instruction like this, you know what it's about? It's about love. It's about how do I love another human being? And here's what God is telling us. I made sex to unite you with another person. So hang on and wait until you find that person that you make a covenant with and come together. Because what happens when you have sex with someone outside of marriage, he says it right here, make sure that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. Why? Because, you know what those were? Fascinating words. Sometimes the Greek is kind of, what it, this was fascinating. The first word means to go over, to overstep. When you, and so what he's saying is, when you have sex with someone not in marriage, you step over the bounds. You just moved in and you just took something that's not yours. She's not yours. In fact, I used to tell people all this. Here's the reality. If you're having sex, especially teenagers, right? We're just, you are probably having sex with somebody else's wife. Someday, right, she's going to get married. And she's going to wish so bad that you weren't in her bed. But you are. You robbed her. And you robbed him. That's what this, what the scriptures are saying. You wrong someone. And then the next word, to take advantage of, it means to overreach, to seek, to get more, to take what's not yours. And, and take advantage is simply to exploit or make unfair use of for one's own benefit. Here's what we need to understand. Yes, those drives are strong. Yes, when you love someone, you feel it. Yes, you want to do that. But if it's not within marriage, you are wronging, taking advantage, exploiting, taking what's not yours for yourself. And I want to tell you, man, that was the biggest regret. I think that's why God gave me 14 years before I met my wife, just to help get that out. And I want to tell you, this is love, you guys. And the the same thing's true for pornography, right? Because pornography is doing the same thing. It's sexual activity in the brain outside of marriage. And now we're bringing all of that into yourself. And it's all about yourself, obviously, right? You're not, I don't think you're doing it with a bunch of people. Like, it's all about you. And so then, who are you wronging? Well, the dopamine levels are shrinking. Your sexual desires are going away. It's fascinating. I didn't say this for service. I read an article years ago, not a Christian article. It was a woman at a secular university who was writing about how the biggest struggles right now sexually were not the women. It was the fact that girls would get together with guys and they didn't have a sexual drive for them. 
You know why? Because the pornography industry is robbing you of the glue, robbing you of the dopamine, robbing you of that. And so God is just saying, nothing, no, I want to bind you guys together. So I want to tell you, man, how in the world do we do this? We got to be one in spirit with Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who walked this planet. Apparently, isn't this cool? Think about this. Jesus is walking the planet in the midst of a culture that's as sexual as ours is right now. Same thing. And he never one time gave in. Never one time. And so Jesus in us will always say, always say, love the other person. I'm going to be super bold. If you're in here today, and you're, you are in a relationship with somebody and you're not married and you're involved sexually and you say you follow Jesus, I'm just going to tell you right now, you need to look at that person and go, I, I, just, I hope a spiritual smelling salt kind of, whoa. And you can walk out of here and go, I love you. I, I follow Jesus. I love you. So even though you want to have sex with me, I'm not going to do that. Because I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I follow Jesus. And because of, as a follower of Jesus, I love you. And I'm going to honor your marriage. It could be to me someday. It could even be with me. But I'm going to honor your marriage. That's what we need to do today. I'm not going to take from you. I'm going to value others above myself. All right. So, Ben, come on up. And here's what we're going to do. I just know for me, I was sitting where you guys are sitting. And some of you, with regret. I had so much regret for my past and I needed to confess that to God. I needed to get it out. I needed to know that when Jesus Christ was on the cross, he actually died for everything I've ever done wrong. That means every sexual decision I've ever made that wasn't of God. And I want to tell you, man, there have been times as a follower of Jesus where I have blown it badly. And I tell you what, when you've loved Jesus with all your heart and you blow it, you know what happens? Shame is horrible. And the enemy comes in, he goes, you're horrible, Nelson, you're not worth it, you can't follow you. And I, I just remember, and finally I just had to sit there and I felt like the Holy Spirit just came to me and said, so Dave, so this was the one thing that Jesus didn't die for. Jesus is up there on the cross dying for all the sin of all the world. No, oh, but not when you did that, Nelson. <laughs> and some of you, that's what you believed. And you need to repent today. You know what repent means? It means you change your mind. And you need to change your mind today. And you need to say, okay, God, you could not be more clear from your word. And since I follow Jesus Christ, I'm confessing to you right now, would you please forgive me? Please forgive me for every mistake, every wrong thing I've done, everything I've looked at, just forgive me. And this is what it says, look what it says, First John. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and don't live out the truth. This is the verse I use with people all the time. I'll go, so you're a Christian? Yep. So Jesus is living inside of you? Yep. Okay. And so you're doing what he doesn't want you to do? Yep. But you're claiming to have fellowship with him. Some of you are not experiencing the full peace and joy and strength of the spirit of God inside of you because you're claiming to have fellowship with him, but you're walking in darkness. And so he goes on and says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, listen to you guys, 
Every Christian must memorize this verse. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So whether you're regretting your past or whether you're struggling right now and you can't, and you're like, I can't overcome it. The, the porn is, a, I'm addicted. I am, I confess, God, please help me. He's saying to you, quit hiding that. There's no shame in Christ. If you're actually a follower of Christ, he's already paid for all of that sin and took it into his body. He redeemed it, he bought it, and God, Jesus actually owns every sinful thing you've ever done. I heard a guy say this week, he goes, so if you ever try to go back and take the responsibility for that again, he goes, that's an illegal behavior because you're robbing Jesus of what's his. Your sin is Christ's. Isn't that great news? And I just want to tell you, man, if you're a Christian today and you haven't been able to receive that, today is your freaking day to be free. And so you got to confess this to him and believe that Jesus died for you and receive it and let him cleanse you. The power, so crazy, the power over this is not you. It's you admitting your own depravity and inability to do anything about it. That's where it starts. And then in that humility, Jesus gives you grace. And then Acts 3 begins. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Yeah! I agree. <laughs> so here's what I want you to do, man. You sit with this song and you have an honest conversation with God and you lay your reality before him. That's all confession is. You just get everything out and you lay it before him. And then in return, you let his truth. This is repentance. It's a changing of your mind and you receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And then let him cleanse you. Just worship him. You sing this song, you sit and pray, you do whatever you want, but you engage with God, all right? And let him set you free. Let's do it.